Hey, everyone, turn in your Bibles, will you? Turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Actually, this morning, as I walked in, Matt Yater, he said, morning, doctor. I thought, of all the mornings. I don't know if you guys knew I have an honorary doctorate. Maybe you didn't know that. It was, yeah, Jeremy didn't even know that, huh? Yeah. It was given to me by my fifth grade teacher named Jim Martin. It, it, was, it was not necessarily um, uh, for any level of study, but for my exceptionally bad handwriting. There was no ceremony, but recently I did attain this hat from Amazon. And I, I, was, just, I was just thinking, man, this morning, I want to take you to school just for a minute. I want to take you to school just for a minute, a couple minutes. I want to I talk to you about not just the book of Proverbs, but I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you today um, about, uh, about how to study the Bible more effectively. Now, we started this. If you missed our, the, the start of our uh, series on Proverbs last week, it's vitally important that you listen to the first 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to hit it real quick again right now. But, but in, in, it's very important because my goal as we study Proverbs this summer is not just that you learn some Proverbs, but my goal is that you learn uh, genres of the Bible. We're going to talk about that. That you learn how to study specifically the book of Proverbs and every book of the Bible. And that God can use these, uh, this word to, to speak to you. That God can take his word and every single day you can get something from if you've ever opened the Bible and thought, man, I just don't know what in the world that's all about, let me just help you with this. Because the Bible wasn't meant just to be like, oh God, um, I've got an issue, uh, right there, okay. And, and you just put your finger on a scripture and just go there and think, that's what I'm gonna do. That that's, must be God's word to me. It, it wasn't necessarily meant to be cherry-picked. I'm getting hot, I'm taking this off. Ooh, yeah, that bald spot lets out a lot of heat. The Bible, the Bible was meant to, to speak to us. It's alive. It's active. It's, it's meant to transform us, not just to inform us, right? The Bible is meant to be more transformational than informational. It's not just information to take off the page. Oh, that's good. No, it's to transform and change our lives. You know, uh, have you ever heard the stories, though, of some people that just, they do one of these numbers, you know? Let me just toss a, a, a thought out. Let's just say, I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. Just, I'm throwing out just, I'm spitballing here. Just, let's say you're struggling with male pattern baldness. I don't know, I'm just saying. And you had a, you had a hard time and there were some young people that were picking on you. And you're like, Lord, I don't know what to do about these young people who are, are picking on me because of my male pattern baldness. I don't even know what that is, but it sounded fun. I, I've heard it on the commercials and I'm sure I've got it, but I'm really struggling with male and these young, youngsters next, and they're just saying, and I'm like, Lord, give me a verse. Lord, give me a verse. And you just open your Bibles, and you happen to turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. Oh, let's see what the word of the Lord is for me. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Oh, this must be God. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. Well, Lord, what should I do? Keep reading. Okay. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them. In the name of the Lord, then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. I curse every one of you! <laughs> What's your point, Scott? 
what my point is, the, the Bible was never meant just to be something where you're just, I don't know what to read, I don't even know what to read. I'm just going to just cherry, but just go, I'm going to take that as a word from the Lord. The Bible is meant to be studied within the context of the, the scriptures. Let me, let me just nail this down because uh, Proverbs, really, it's helpful to understand these principles when we study the book of Proverbs. I was recently read a, a, a good portion of the book, Journey into God's Word by Scott Duvall and Daniel Hayes. Journey into God's Word. It's just a basic book, Journey into God's Word, about um, understanding the different genres and different parts of literature, of scripture, and some other things. And, and they had this target. It's in your notes. In fact, grab the notes in the back of the, the seats in front of you. Grab those. And they had this, this circle thing. And I thought, well, this might help us to, to nail this down. So when you're studying scripture, what does this look like? Welcome to my class. I, I took off my hat. I, again, honorary doctorate. Um, but you start with the passage of scripture. That's your scripture. That's what you're talking. So you open the Bible. You're studying scripture. You're maybe just reading a chapter a day. You're reading a verse, whatever. It's like, what does this really mean? I don't understand. Is this? Okay, take that passage, read it. And, and just say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're saying here? How can I help understand that more effectively? Well, let's go to the next step. It says immediate context. In fact, if we go, I, I had you turn to Proverbs chapter 11, and I had you turn there for a reason, because I want you to look at verse 8. We picked on this verse last week, but let me, let me read it for you again. Proverbs 11, verse 8. The righteous man is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. Okay. Now go back to the circles. What's the passage? Psalms, or excuse me, Proverbs eleven eight. We just read it. What's the immediate context? As I look in my Bible, I can go back. Immediate context, go a couple verses before, a couple verses after. And you see righteousness, 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 the wicked man, righteousness. You go a couple afterwards. With his mouth of God, let's destroy the neighbor. When the righteous prosper. And you can see that righteousness is kind of a theme here in this passage. Okay, do any of those verses speak to that one verse, verse 8? And then, to get further context, you go from your passage, immediate context, the rest of the larger section. What does that mean? Well, I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but when they gave us the Bible um, uh, and they, they uh, put it all together, they split it up into chapters and verses so that we could read it more effectively and, and see it easier. But if you kind of take the chapters and the verses aside, go back and you can see, oh, wait a minute. In Proverbs, the first nine chapters really seem like it's a father speaking directly to the son. It's applicable to us, but that's kind of the, the way it's written. But as of chapter 10, all of a sudden you got this, this spattering of a bunch of Proverbs. And does that really speak to verse 8 in chapter 11? I don't know. But best of rest of the larger section. And then go to the rest of the book. Ah, this is where when you study a book like Proverbs, you begin to understand, oh, wait a minute. And you begin to ask questions, who wrote this? Remember who wrote this? Mostly Solomon, a couple other dudes, uh, but it's mostly Solomon. And so as you, okay, he wrote it. When did he write this book of Proverbs? Who, what, when, where, why? I mean, you ask these questions. Now, some of you, I can see your, your eyes are kind of glazing over right now. He's like, uh, just get to the meat and potatoes here. No, I'm setting something up here. Because the goal with Scripture is that when you open it up, you get something from it, that, it spe that you allow it to speak to you. 
And if you just start asking some of these questions, like, well, what book of the Bible is this? We, we studied 2 Timothy. I, I studied it with a, about 10 different, uh, uh, we call it the young guns. We had this small group a couple, uh, uh, about a month ago, and, and I, I led all these kind of uh, upper high school, college age guys in a study. Uh, Zach Reimer and I did as, as we went through 2 Timothy, and, and we're asking the context of who wrote it, the Apostle Paul. Where was he at? He was imprisoned. Hello. That is one of the last it was the last letter that we have in the New Testament that Paul ever wrote. This is his last thing. And so all of that we take into context as we read 2 Timothy. Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature. And all and that we must take into the context as we study Proverbs. I'll say more about it in a second. And ultimately, we look at that one verse. What verse are we on? Verse 8, chapter 11, in the context of the whole Bible. The rest of the Bible. And when you begin to just even pull out that thought of the righteous man is rescued from trouble that comes on the wicked, that, that righteousness, maybe all of a sudden as you begin to think about the rest of the Bible, the context of righteousness in the, in, in, in the, in the rest of the Bible, you begin to think, oh, wait a minute. Ah, we just did a series on that, right? Full armor of God. You remember? Pastor, he, he preached a message about what? The breastplate of righteousness, right? You remember we talked about that? We talked about positional righteous. I am made righteous through Jesus Christ. I'll never be more saved or less saved. I am saved. I take on his righteousness. How awesome that is. And we talked about that positional thing. And we also talked about practical righteousness, right? We live it out. What are you saying, Scott? What I'm saying is you can take one verse, the righteous man is right, and if you begin to run it through this kind of a thought process, what happens is all of a sudden, You've got even a greater word from God for you, and it helps to define what exactly we're talking about when you think about righteousness. Let the Bible define the Bible. <laughs> you know, we, we, can, we can use Webster's and all that kind of stuff, but bottom line is, when you're wanting, what is righteousness? What is a righteous man? Let the Bible describe that and follow this pattern to get there. Um, what does it mean? What is a wicked man? See what the Bible says about other wicked men. Now, this is just one way, just one thought, but let, let, me, let me just toss this out to you. Some of you are like, this sounds like a lot of work. Well, listen, if you can get to the point where this is just the natural go-to, I mean, in studying Scripture, they're, they're, if, you stay, if you stay put in the Word of God, I can tell you, you'll get to the point where when you're reading Scripture, your brain naturally, okay, what's, what's, what's the context of the verses around? What about this chapter? What about this, this section? What about this book? And how does this fit in the whole Word of God? When you, when you begin to think of Scripture this way, I'm talking like on your own as you're studying Scripture, it, it'll just become the, like, like your right hand. I mean, like, like breathing. It's like, I don't, I don't think to myself, I better breathe in, I better breathe out. I better breathe in, I better breathe I don't even think that. Why? Because I just know. I just do that naturally. I'm just telling you, if you begin to study Scripture with this in mind, watch out. Because all of a sudden, the Word of God is beginning to come alive to you. Now, I don't have a whole lot more time to spend on this because I want to jump into what we're going to talk about today from the Proverbs. But let me just say one, one more small, teeny, tiny little thing. Um, I talked to you about how the Proverbs are specific genre. Do we have those seven genres uh, on, on a slide? Maybe we, yeah, we do. Okay, talked about this last week. Different kinds of writing even within the Bible. There's narrative, there's poetry, there's wisdom, there's prophecy, there's the gospels, there's the epistles, the apocalyptic nature, uh, um, apocaly uh, 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, Revelation, and some would even put a little bit of Daniel in there and a few other places. Um, But there's different scholars will use different verbiage and explain things differently. But this is what I want you to know. Proverbs, as we study Proverbs, it's wisdom literature. Why is that important, Scott? Well, I want to say this to you again. I said it last week. But while being 100% the inspired word of God, Proverbs must be understood as, uh, we got not, excuse me, must not be understood as unconditional promises, but as principles to follow, godly principles to follow. Another way of saying that would be this. Proverbs are more principles, not so much promises. Wait a minute, Scott. What are you talking about? Well, let's just, let's just look back at 11, verse 8. Are you still there? Proverbs 11, verse 8. The righteous man is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. All right? Now, how many would say, I can, I've been born again, I'm, I'm blood-bought, washed in the blood, glory to Jesus, I'm going to heaven. If I were to die today, that's how I'm saved. I'm saved to the bone. But I've had trouble in my life. <laughs> the righteous man is rescued from trouble. I've been in trouble for a long time. I've had issues, things, it just, it just didn't seem like it would ever go away. And then you look at someone who is in the category of wicked, someone who hasn't put their faith in Christ. You're like, wait a minute. Why does it seem like they're, they're surviving? They're doing great. But me, I'm trying to live a righteous life. I'm struggling here. Here's the deal with the Proverbs. The Proverbs are godly wisdom for, for life. And if you stick to the Proverbs, you stick to this thought, the righteous man is rescued from trouble. If you stay faithful to God, I can tell you, your trouble will pass. God will bring peace even in the midst of the trouble. God will take care of you. As a rule, the righteous man is rescued from trouble because he's doing the just thing, the right thing, the thing that's full of integrity. As a rule, you, you're, you're going to be free from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. Now, we're going to talk about another verse. We talked about the one, in, uh, in fact, let me just jump there real quick. Uh, it's in Proverbs chapter 24, I believe. It's on parenting credit. Uh, where's that at? Because it, it, this is so much. Oh, wouldn't you know it? Do you know what proverb I'm talking about? I'm talking to, I'm talking to my, my computer guys back there. Like I said, let's not go to that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go, there we go. Man, you guys are good back there. Aaron, give yourself another mint or a Kleenex boxes there. Take another Kleenex, that's fine. Take the whole box home just for that one. How about this one? Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not turn from it. Here's the question. How many of you know parents who have trained their children to follow Jesus? have done everything they could. To, they weren't perfect, but they did everything they could to train their children to put their faith in Christ. But then when their children got out of the house, they decided to walk away from God. Well, so, uh, so the question is, train a child the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Here's, here, here's, what, here's the principle behind this. And I can tell you, from personal experience, the majority of parents that I know that have done a good job of raising up their children in the church to follow Christ, to love Christ, the majority of those kids will continue to follow Christ. It's a principle. They've learned it. They're going to continue to grow in Christ. They're going to continue to follow Christ. But there are times when, when it doesn't happen that way. So what we see here is a godly principle that we follow. As we're studying Scripture in Proverbs, it's important we see that as compared to what? As compared to the book of John. I used this illustration last week too. But John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So as we talked about, here's the question. Is this an unconditional promise or is it a guiding principle for godly behavior? Is it an unconditional promise or is it a guiding principle for godly behavior? As you look at Proverbs, what Proverbs are, are a guiding principle for godly behavior. As you look back to John chapter 14, what do we have here? An unconditional promise. This is one of the gospels. This is a different genre of scripture. All of it's inspired by God. All of it's stuff that God is speaking to us. But we need to understand as we, as we study Proverbs, these are principles, godly wisdom that God wants to bestow on us, give us, so that we can have wise families, wise marriages, wise jobs, wise... And then we have stuff like this in, in the Gospels, that these are unconditional promises. Now you're like, Scott, I'd like to hear more about this. Go back and listen to last week's message, and I'll probably talk a little bit more about it over the next few weeks. But now... I want to jump in to our, uh, um, the guts of our message today, and, and it's, I, I felt like of all the, the Sundays that we could talk about this subject, this would be a great one when we have baby dedication. We're going to talk about parenting, Proverbs on parenting. We're going to talk about that today, and I encourage you to fill in the notes. And some of you are like, parenting? I'm not even a parent. Well, let me just tell you, one day you probably will be a parent, so um, so. Get married, have kids, and let's go for it, all right? Um, here's, 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 you say, well, wait a minute, I, I don't plan to ever get married. Well, do you have nieces? Do you have nephews? Um, probably so. Okay, then it'd be good for you to know what I'm going to talk about today. So don't just tune out, listen, and let's see what godly principles, godly wisdom that, that God would have for us on parenting. Here's the first one. Ready? Uh, before I get there. I'm just going to I'm just going to uh, admit that, that I'm trusting that you desire to raise your kids to follow Christ and you desire your kids to, to walk in godly wisdom. So if that's true then here it is. Number number 1. The Lord first. Some of you could have written that down even before I said it. The Lord first. The Lord first. This is a, the first parenting principle that every one of us on is God always comes first in our parenting, in our family. We teach our kids this is number one. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And trust in who? In the Lord. Put him first. Trust him. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Some of you today, you look at your path of parenting right now. <laughs> You're parenting kids, in a way, and you, you feel like it's, it's more like over here and, and over here and it's kind of over here and maybe you feel like you hit the S curves and, and you're, you're like just when you feel like you're getting somewhere then all of a sudden it's over here and then just oh praise God they're really oh no no it's over here you just let me, let me just say trust in the Lord put him first here's the godly principle put the Lord first in your parenting and in your family make sure your kids are taught that God is number one in our first in, in our family it's, it's not school first it's not education first. It's not sports first. It's not music first. It's not even kids first. It's the Lord first, number one. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that most of us would agree with this first point. Most of you, if you put your faith in Christ, you're like, well, yeah, duh. I mean, it's kind of a duh comment. Put the Lord first, of course. 
And I'm gonna do that. Here's the question though. Have we set up systems in our family's life that point us to or take us away from God being first? In fact, maybe it's time for a family meeting. Discuss it as a family. What are some ways we set things up in this family to point us to the Lord first or take us away from God first? I'm talking like, like literally this week. Maybe one of the most important things you could do this week is to call a family meeting and say, family meeting, Scott's house. No, not at my house, at your house. Family meeting, let's sit down, let's talk. Are we, are we in all that we do, are we, are we doing everything we can to keep God number one in this family? You know, three of the places that's so easy to do, to look at and to, to kind of test yourself is your time, your talent, and your treasure. Your time. The most valuable thing you have is not so much your money. It's your time. And so just ask yourself, is God number one in our time? As we look as a, as a family, are you teaching your kids that the, the greatest thing you can do with your time, first of all, off the top, is to just give it to the Lord, whatever that may look like. Always be on call. Let the Holy Spirit always know you can use me at any time during this day. Put God first. Maybe before you even get your foot out of bed. Kids, before you even wake up, just say a prayer. Say, God, this is your day. Use me in this day. I, I submit this whole day to you. Oftentimes, I'll pray through my day as I lay there in bed because I don't want to get out of bed, but I know I should, and the alarm already went off for the second time. And I'm just like, it's okay, Lord, I know I'm meeting with this person. I know I'm going to talk to this. There's, there's, it, there's rarely any meeting I have in the course of the day that I haven't already prayed over. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, just God first. God, I want you here. Teach your kids that. Train them up. Train them up that this is, this is how we think with your talent, with your treasure, your money. Does God get the best or does he just get the leftovers? Come on. A, a practical way that you can live this out is, is, um, is prayer, um, teaching your kids to pray, teach, even, even prayer over meals. It's, it seems like, is it, do we have to do that? Are we ungodly if we don't pray over a meal? Not necessarily, but it's just a practical way to say, God, we put you first. We give you thanks for this food. Simple prayer. Even just uh, coming to church, uh, attendance. Is, is Sunday morning church attendance an option in your family? Can I encourage you? Um, take that option out and make it a requirement. <laughs> not, not because if you miss a Sunday, you're going to hell. <laughs> no, it's just in this family, if we're home, we're not even going to ask, are we going to church? Of course, we're going to go worship with our church family. Why? There's nothing that is more important than putting God first on that Sunday. You say, well, my kid just got home at 2 or 3 in the morning because they're in show choir and they got home. If you're home, you're at church. Come to church. Be in church. Teach your kids that nothing takes precedence over church. If you're out of town, that's, that's, that's a whole other thing. But train your kids that it's always God first. We put him first in our time with our talents and all the gifts that God's given us. When you talk, I'm, I'm coming down here, Seth. I'm going to test you here. You can do this. When, when, you, when you talk to your kids about their future, about their career, does it ever include... Does it ever include 
boy, God could really use you in that. Or whatever, whatever it is you're thinking about doing, do you know how you could use that for God's kingdom? When you talk about whether your kid's going to be a teacher or a professor or um, maybe he's going to start their own business or you're, just, you're setting your kid up for college and this is where you're thinking or maybe they're not even going to go to college because they've got another track in mind. And, and as you're doing that, do you, do you, does it ever come up in the conversation of, but do you know how you could use that in the local church? Do you know how you could use that gift, that talent, that ability in the local church? Do you give them a vision beyond just... Man, you can retire at 55 if you do that. Is there any thought at all to how this fits in with the Lord? Now, I'm spending a lot of time on this. I'm, gonna spend, I'm not going to spend this much time on all the points. But this is foundational. Put the Lord first as you parent. Teach your kids God, his will, his desires, number one. Second thing, write this down. Connect and stay connected to your kids. Man, I'm so glad that this is in the Proverbs. I'm just telling you, when I read this, my heart just, li- I've read through the Proverbs a million, t- well, not a million times, Lord, forgive me for lying. Many times, I've read through the book of Proverbs, and it never dawned on me like this. Proverbs chapter four, verse one. In fact, I'm gonna read it with you on the screen. Look at this. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me. Let's just stop for a second. Who's writing this? Solomon, okay. King Solomon is taking time to sit down with his sons and saying, listen, okay, let's have a heart to heart. We need to connect here. Sons, listen, we gotta have a connection. Why is King Solomon doing that? Verse three, when I was a boy in my father's house, who was his father? King David. His mama was Bathsheba. And from this passage, it looks like maybe he was an only child for a little while. Of course, David, well, this is for another message, but had several other wives. But, um, but, but it looks like Bathsheba went on to have other children with David. But King, King David, yeah, the one who, giant fell, conk, I mean, chopped his head off. It's an amazing story. Read it to your children at night. Um, <laughs> David and Goliath, King David, who went on to, to, he had some indiscretion, but he did some great things for God, right? King David took time, according to verse three, to sit down with his son Solomon and say, now listen, boy, I love you enough to tell you this. And therefore, he set the tone, so King Solomon sat down with his boys, and we have this recorded right here. There was a connection that happened here. It's not even as much about what he said as much as I want you to see. There's a connection. Can I just encourage you? Moms, dads, let's connect with our kids. Work on connecting and maintaining a connection with our kids. Work on this. Make this a, a, a vital part of what you want to do. And it doesn't start when they become teenagers and they start making decisions that, you well, you wish they weren't making. Now listen, I believe God can redeem the time and, and God can give you wisdom. But listen to me. It starts laying on the floor, putting that same puzzle together <laughs> that you put together 10 times the night before. It starts with playing Candyland. It, it starts with connecting with your kids at whatever age they're at and praying, dear God, I don't know how to connect with a 12-year-old girl. 
<laughs> Dear God, I don't know how to connect with a seven-year-old girl. I don't think I can play Barbies one more time. You know, I, 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 you're, you're just saying, how can I connect with this daughter, this son, in this time period of their life? And as they grow, connect with them and then stay connected with them. That's the goal. Because God wants you to speak into their lives. Now, some of you have kids that are really young. Some of you have kids that are out of the house. I'm going to talk to you in a second. Those of you with kids out of the house. But right now, let me just encourage you. Moms, dads, young kids, do everything you can to connect with your kids and continue to stay connected. I read a book once by a guy named Jim Baker. Back in the 1980s, he was what was known as a televangelist. He ended up going to prison. That's a side story. But at some point, he, he was in the hospital. And his young son, Jay, Jim Baker, the televangelist, wrote a book. It's called I Was Wrong. Very, very good title for, for what he went through. But, <clears throat> but I, I read that book. It was, it was a thick one, but I read it. And, and his, he quotes his son, Jay. And Jay said, Dad, that time when you were in the hospital, that, that really and I got to come and see you and spend the day with you, that is one of my favorite days in my whole life. And the obvious response was, why was of all the days? It's because I had you all to myself. I mean, here, here's a guy that was on television, surrounded by all kinds of famous people, and always going, 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 but his most important ministry he had neglected, and that was to his own kids. I don't want my kids or your kids to wake up one day and, 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 <clears throat> and say, you know that one day when you're in the hospital, Dad, and, and you, you had a, the kidney stone, ah, I just felt so bad for you, but really it was great because I got to spend the whole day with you, and I've never done that in probably my whole life. I don't want that to be said about you, moms either. Let's make sure that we're connecting. Now you say, um, uh, Scott, my kids are out of the house. And maybe you say, Scott, I didn't do a good job of this. Thanks a lot. I think I'm going to leave right now. <laughs> Hold on just a second. Can I just encourage you? All, none of us are perfect as parents. We've done the best we knew to point our kids to Jesus. And if your kids aren't following, or for some reason you aren't connecting with them, let me just encourage you. The whole, the whole idea of our series a couple weeks ago, right? The full armor of God. It, it, the whole impetus of that whole series was what? There's nothing we can do. Remember that? There was a, there's this thing that came up in a conversation. It's like, well, what can we do? We can't do anything. Well, the fact of the matter is that's wrong. We can do something. In fact, in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, it says, For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual force of evil and the heavenly realms. Therefore, what we can do is we can put on the full armor of God. We can take our stand against the enemy, knowing the enemy is the one who's behind the separation between you and your children. Let's take a stand. And then after we've done all, let's pray, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Let's pray. Let's believe God. You say, Scott, my heart is broken today as you're preaching this message because I know I made some mistakes and I don't know how to fix it. Let me tell you, there's good news. We serve a God who was dead and came alive. He's in the resurrection business. He can do this. Don't give up. Even if your kids are out of the house, God still wants to use you to speak into their life, to mother them, to father them. You can do this through the, the, the power of Jesus Christ. You pray, you ask him. And another idea is this, just start serving. 
to start serving you. I'm not saying let them take advantage of you. But if you're struggling to stay connected with a child, just say, hey, can I just come get your car, run it through the car wash, can I go get your oil changed? Can I just watch the kids? You and uh, your, your husband or your wife can go out. Can I just start serving? Just start, is there anything I can do to serve? Just serve your way back into their life. Let's keep going. Number three, commit to training. Commit to training. Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not return from it. Again, unconditional promise or guiding principle for a godly life. It's a guiding principle. As a, as a rule, if we do this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out the way the Lord says. And so here's an important question. What are we training them? Obviously, we're training them in godliness, but even today, we're cr- training them to have a biblical Christian worldview. Parents, hear me. This is, where, this is where our heart has got to be is because they're not getting it in society. They're not getting it anymore. At one point, maybe, yeah, we had an overall godly kind of respect, uh, the, the uh, fear of God society, but not anymore. They're not, they're not being trained with a, a, a mindset of Christianity, a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. Let's train our children to this. Don't allow your child's biblical education to be in the church alone. i never forget, it was years ago, years ago, another community, another, another town, but somebody came to me and said, uh, man, I'm just so excited. My kid, th- this is unchurched. She was unchurched. She didn't go to church anywhere. And she, I'm so excited because... In our community, the Baptist pastor's wife is going to be is going to be watching our kids. They're little, like two year old. She, uh, they're going to watch my kids. It's going to be great because then she can talk to them about God and she can teach them about God and just. And of course, uh, my response was, "Oh, that's great, wonderful, whatever." But I'm thinking in my mind, man, the number one place for your children to learn about God is not from someone else. It's from you, through your life and through your words. It's lived out. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19, great passage. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you're driving in the minivan, when you're, when you're watching a movie, when you lie down, when you get up. Always do, take every opportunity you can to talk to them about why we believe what we believe. And, and train up your children. And I didn't say it today, but often in all of our baby dedications, I'll usually say, every child ought to be homeschooled. Whether they go to public school, private school, or they're homeschooled education-wise for their public, for their, their brain education. But I'm, I'm just telling you, every one of us, we ought to homeschool our kids. So if your kids are, are in public schools, homeschool them too. You, you teach them the ways of the Lord in home. If your kids are in a private school, if your kids are home, you, it's your job to train up those children to follow the Lord, serve the Lord, Christian worldview. Can I just add something? Just be very careful. In the, in the public schools, there's actually groups of parents. One even met here. It wasn't sponsored by our church, but this week there was a group of parents that even met here just coming together saying, we're, we're not trying to uh, raise a, a, um, a here's, what, here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that the things that are taught in our schools are things that we would line up with in our own minds and, and the way that we think. And, the, and so just be very careful. Be very careful. Pray for your teachers. We've got some great godly teachers in this church. And there are some great godly teachers. But there's also some that would like nothing more than to thwart whatever God wants to do for your kid's life. One, I'm just sharing, for instance, then we're going to move on. Let me just meddle here for a second. We had a, an elementary school teacher for one of our girls, and it was said just 
this woman was a great godly woman. Man, you're gonna, it's going to be your favorite teacher. And, um, and so it got to be the, the time where you're, you got the, the, the reading of, of books and whatever. It, it's what you do in school, right? Read. And, and so it was, it was AR or whatever it was. I don't even know what it was. But it, this wasn't the signed book. But hey, pick one of these books and read it. And so our daughter brought home one of the books. This is, this is elementary school. And, and we, we looked at it, and this book had more swearing in it than a movie that we would bring home into our own home. Now, this was some time ago. And, and so what did we do? Well, we went to the teacher, right? And said, hey, you know what? We're not going to, like, make a big case about this, but I don't, I'm not sure why this is even on the shelf. And we'd rather this wouldn't be something. Well, it's, and this was the response. Well, it's nothing that she wouldn't hear on the bus. It's nothing she wouldn't hear on the playground. And what's my thought? Our thought. Our thought is, oh, that's really the standard, huh? (laughs) So today, if a kid pulls out a naked picture on the playground, then let's just let our kids read pornography. Because if that's the standard, then something's wrong here. Now, I realize there's different standards of morality for different people, and, and, and you've got to make that. All I'm saying is this. Just be involved even in your students' education. Pray for your teachers. Pray for the teachers that your students have. Just ask the Lord to give them strength. And for the Christian believers and the teachers that are in our public schools especially, pray that God would give them strength to make an impact. And, and, um, but be very, very careful about what your kids are being taught and how they're being taught. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But I just, ultimately is this. Commit to training your children yourself. Don't hand it off even just to Pastor Jeremy. We're glad Jeremy's here. And up, uh, go ahead. Yeah. We're glad. We're glad all of our volunteers are here. All of you that volunteer in our kids' ministry, we're so glad you're here. And so glad that you're serving. So glad that you're teaming up with moms and dads to help train them up in godliness. Let's keep moving. Number four. Don't ever forget this. Because number four ties right in with number five. But number four is this: they are born sinful. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. How many people believe that? I mean, there's debate. You, you can read other parenting books other than the Bible, and it'll say, well, I don't know about that. Our, our kids, you know, overall, I, I think kids are pretty good. They're basically good. I think they start out as cherubs, you know, they just like those flying around in the clouds. I'm not sure they're bent towards bad things. Do they really have a sin nature? I don't know. Here's, here's what I say. Get married, have a couple kids, and then talk to me about it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you which kid it was, but one of our kids, when they were little, I don't even remember how old they were, but like, I don't know, one, one year old, something like that. Um, but at one point, um, they were mad at my wife, Megan, and they just latched onto her with their teeth. They're, they're biting their mother. And do you, do you think I pulled that child ahead, uh, child aside earlier in that day and said, now listen, honey, at one point your mother's going to get on your nerves. This is how you take care of that. <laughs> just, just bite and don't let go. Oh, she eventually let go and she, she was made to know that she better never do that again. But listen. I didn't, we didn't teach them that. Why? Folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Your children are born sinful. 
And that's why a loving God sent his son to die on the cross so that your child could repent of that sin and find freedom and hope and salvation through Jesus Christ. I know this is, again, it's kind of a Sunday school thing, but listen, just know this is true. Your children need Jesus. You may think that's just a cute little baby just swinging back and forth on a little child swing, or, you know, they're just crawling around. Look, they're not just crawling around looking around. They're looking, yeah, I'm going to own this place. <laughs> this is my domain. I'm in charge. So foolishness is bound up in their heart. Remember, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of this, it's up to us to help them find Christ. And one way that they do is to, number five, commit to discipline. This is the final thought. One of the most loving things you can do to prepare your kids for the rest of their life is to discipline them. If you don't love them, don't discipline them. If you love them, then godly, correct discipline is the route we must go. Proverbs 3, verse 11. Look at this. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. A father disciplines, a mother disciplines a son or a daughter because we love them. Now listen, I know there are seasons when maybe it's hard for you to have any joy in parenting. As some of you moms have been up half last night with your babies, you, you can get up here and speak more than that. Sometimes it's hard, but let me, just, let me just encourage you. There's gonna be other seasons as your children grow, it's gonna be like, I don't even know what to do about this one. I don't even know how, I just, you, this is what we pray. Lord, give me grace to have joy in parenting. I don't want my parenting just to, my kids to grow up in a home where I'm just always, just I, I, they feel like I don't like them. When down deep, I love them, but sometimes, <laughs> no. I, I like them. I love them. I want this. Ask the Lord to give you the grace to, to parent out of that. But at the, same, uh, at the same time, be consistent on your discipline. In fact, you might find out the more disciplined I, I, I implement in my kids' lives, the more I enjoy parenting. Kids long for boundaries, they love the lines and they don't even know it. Sometimes they're just feeling for the lines. They're searching for the lines. And the best kids I know come from parents who have drawn the lines. Let them know this is what I expect you to do and then discipline them when they overstep those lines. Here's, here's the key. Discipline is not something we do to our children. It's something we do for our children. It's a gift. There's this kind of this mumbo jumbo on parenting out there. You know, man, love is like a positive vibe and discipline is so negative and we don't want to be negative. We want to be so full of love in our home. Genuine discipline comes out of a love for our kids. It's not, uh, I love my kids or I hate my kids, so I discipline. There, there's not, no, I love my kids, so I discipline. It's, it's one they're not positive love, negative discipline. They go together. They're connected. Whenever I discipline my children, whether they're little or whether they're older, whenever I discipline them, when they're in my house, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm following the pattern of our Lord who disciplines us because he loves us. 
And, and there are going to be times when your, your kids are going to not applaud you. And, and they're going to get mad at you. And it's going to be like they're standing there saying, boo, mom. Boo, dad. Boo. That's a horrible decision you just made about me. <laughs> Man, that, that's one of the toughest times because then what are you going to do? Are you going to flip-flop around? Temptation to say, oh, no, don't boo me. I want to be your friend. I want to be your buddy. It's okay. It's okay. All right. Well, all right. I'll pick up the penalty flag. No penalty on the play. <laughs> Wave it off and put it back in my pocket. No. You say, no, there was a penalty. And here's where you stepped outside of the lines. And here's what the penalty is going to be. Parents, look to the long haul. Look to the end product. Look to the vision. Where do you want your kids to be? And we step it up. One final word on discipline. Be aware of the kind of discipline you experienced as a child. Was it too harsh? Be aware of that. Because it's very likely that you're going to go one of two ways. You're going to just follow in that same pattern because that's all you've ever seen. So you're going to be so harsh. Or you're going to be like, I'm never going to be like that. So you're going to go too far the other way. You're going to be too lenient. Or beware if, if your parents were too lenient. And really, you should have had more discipline in your life. It would have helped you in the long run. And, and your, your temptation is going to be to maybe go to one of the extremes as well. Just be aware of that. And use wisdom. And allow God to hone your discipline skills, your parenting skills. These are all, I could, I could, I could have, we could be here all day just talking about different parenting proverbs and different thoughts but can I bring us back to that first point? In fact, worship team, would you come? I want to bring us back to the first point. Do you remember what the first point was? I know you all put your notes away already, but it says, the Lord's first. The Lord first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Put him first with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Another way of putting this is, is found in the Gospels, in Matthew, as well as in Luke. And it says it something like this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But seek him first. Have you ever heard that scripture? Seek first the kingdom of God. Back in the 70s, we sang about it. 70s and 80s, there are songs written about that. I mean, seek first, put God first. We see that in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. But what I, what I, I want to make sure you see... What I felt like as I conclude this message today, what I want to make sure you see is that verse to seek God first, put God first, the context of it. You go back and you read it in, in Matthew chapter th uh, 6, sorry, Matthew 6 or Luke 12, and that verse, the context of it is worry. Did you know that? Go back and read that whole passage again. It's in, in the context of seeking God first is in worry, 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 worry. In fact, um, uh, Matthew 6, 34, or 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Great parenting starts with putting God first. If you're worried about your kids, probably every parent in this room would say, yeah. <laughs> Even if your kids are like, even Jesus stayed behind in the temple and 
he's like, where's Jesus? And when he's looking, no, I'm just, I don't think he was rebelling. It was just part of God's plan. But this one, this one I want you to get. If you're worried about your kids now and you see they're growing up, put God first. Seek God first in that. Make sure you're putting God first in your parenting and your family and every part of your life. If you're worried about your kids who are out of the house and you find yourself worrying, worrying, what's, what's the antidote to worry? I'm getting all worked up. Why am I so... Here it is. God, I put you first there. And I pray that they would put you first. You train your kids now. Parenting, put God first. Seek God first. If you're worried about your kids, say, God, I'm going to put you first in that relationship. I'm going to put you first in my relationship. And I'm just going to have peace because I can't do this on your own, on, on my own. And really, that, that ought to be the, I, 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 I'm, I don't really like the word mantra, but the, the phrase that all of us should be saying right now as parents, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't like me sometimes. I mean, I, I, I need you. Great parenting doesn't start with you having all the answers, but it starts with you being plugged into the one who does. That's the great hope we have today. That's the great news you have today. You don't have to be super mom or super dad. You just have to be on your knees before God God, saying, here I am, God. Come, I want to put you first. The most important thing I could say to you today about your family, I believe today, is put God first in your family, in your parenting, and let God use you. No matter where your kids may be today, you're still their mama. You're still their dad. God wants to use you to speak in their life. Let's keep that door open. Would you stand with me?